is everybody today? Really good to see you. You know, we, we finished, we completed our second section of the Discipleship Series books, so we will order the third. I was uh, figuring we need to order a few more than we have been. We'll get those, and uh, in the meantime, we'll have Sunday school. You're going to have to listen to me. Now, yeah, isn't that sad? Today, at least, for the, for the day. Oh, we're going today. We're going to try to talk about something that really hits home to everybody. It's called God's cure for the blues. You ever get the blues? Whatever that is, the blues. Let's look at it. Let's turn to Psalm seventy-seven and be be considering your prayer request to come. We did have a really good trip up to Flower Mound. Of course, Brother Warren Johnson was very kind to us, very uh, gracious to the whole family. Uh, very, he really spoke highly about our church, what he knew about us, and, you know, what he's encountered and experienced. He, he was very kind and and uh, he was really pushing us, which is good, on this board of directors for the Red River Valley Pastors Fellowship. I finally got it down. It's the Red River Valley Pastors Fellowship. And I said, well, we don't live in the Red River Valley, but they're wanting to move south in their aspirations to start churches. It's a group of preachers who got together many years ago to mainly to fellowship uh, and talk about their ministries and how they can help one another. But then on top of that, they, they got it. We need to start planting churches. America's become a mission field. We're going to be hearing about that in a couple of weeks, a few weeks, in a song. But uh, America's become a, a strong mission field. And so they have a goal to start 30 churches by the year 2030 and uh, be, be involved in the planning of that. So they looked at us. I I told them the, the truth of the, the best I possibly could. And the questions they asked made me be very descriptive. I mean, there was nothing left hidden. And uh, I thought it, it, I came out of there, it went very well. And so they're going to talk about and pray about it. And uh, they vote in, in actually early October. So, which is interesting. They only do it once a year, and they start three churches a year. So they will probably, Lord willing, be supporting our church for about a three-year span. And so it was really good. It was a wonderful time, actually. Wish you all could have gone. Uh, there will be other times, I think, in the future, and maybe you can go. I'd really like that. But turn to Psalm 77. This is Asaph. You know what's interesting about Asaph? From what I see, he wrote 11 psalms that are put to his name, says he wrote them, and there's a pattern with everything he wrote. He started out down, down in the dumps. Something spurned him to write, and uh, he started out negative, and he, as he's writing, it's interesting, he would, it, 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 the, the patterns throughout all of his psalms. He started out very negative, 
and before he'd talk it out, by the end of the psalm, he's, he's realizing it's all about God and he's giving God glory again. And he basically talks himself out of the blues by redirecting his emphasis on God rather than himself. And even David did that. You know, read through the psalm. You know, by the end of the some of these psalms are very mournful uh, wording. Pour, even pouring out their complaint. I mean, in really trouble. But by the end, they, they find their way to the Lord and they realize this. With God, I should not be complaining at all. And uh, so we're going to look at this. I don't think I can finish today. God's cure for the blues. I cried unto God with my voice, even unto God with my voice, and he gave ear unto me. In the day of my trouble, I sought the Lord. My sore ran in the night and ceased not. My soul refused to be comforted. I remembered God and was troubled. I complained and my spirit was overwhelmed. Selah. Thou holdest mine eyes waking. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. Have you ever been there? I have considered the days of old, the years of ancient times. I call to remembrance my song in the night. I commune with mine own heart, and my spirit made diligent search. Will the Lord cast off forever? And will he be favorable? No more. So let's, let's uh, stop there and pray, and uh, we'll pick up the narrative here in a minute. But Heavenly Father, we ask that you'd help us to see through Asaph and what he endured we see some of the same things within our own life and help us to follow the pattern and learn to seek thee when the blues hit. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So he's, my mom used to say, I'm down in the dumps. Mom would say that to me when she was older and mom got very sick. She down in the dumps. Some people would call it the mully grubs. I didn't study where that word came from. But they got the blues, you know. I got the blues. I got them bad. Something went wrong that sent me to the blues. Something that I was hoping good to happen didn't. And it sent me to the blues. And this is the third train. The trains are busy today, right? There's a lot of commerce out there. It's, I guess it's a good thing. Okay, so sometimes you just don't know why. It's just a feeling that hits you. I mean, I've got the blues. And so it's a spirit that comes over you. It's a spirit. You get the blues. You know, uh, next time you feel this way, hopefully it's not today, but hopefully next time you feel this way, you'll start you'll remember what this is. This is a spirit that's upon me. And a lot of times it lies to me. A lot of times we lie to ourselves. And it, honestly, it's never as bad as you think it is. Ever, ever, ever. Nothing's ever as bad as our heart tells us it is. Now on the, on the opposite, it's never as good as you sometimes think it is either. <laughs> you live in the middle, but you live with joy you live in a good place. So some can sing the blues. Some, you know, thinking, some people can't do anything but sing the blues. And I didn't, I didn't study where the term blues comes from uh, in the, as far as music goes. 
honestly, the reason why is I just didn't care. But, there, you know, there's no rejoicing. There's no uplifting. They just whine and cry, and they like it. And some people, that's all they want to hear is the blues, playing the blues. Now, let me tell you this. This is interesting when I studied it. Where did this come from? Where did the blues come from? There was a Crimean War in the Black Sea long ago. And they, this was before they had motorized ships. And there, there was a war going on. And out in the sea, when, when the, these big black birds showed up, and they'd never seen them before. These huge black birds showed up, and they had a blue breast. And they had a doleful sound to them. They put out the most miserable sound for a bird. You know, you ever heard a bird that just doesn't have the... You know, most birds are very beautiful. Some of them are annoying, but not many. But this, these big black birds just showed up. And they would come over and land on the mast of the, of the ships as these... Soldiers and these sailors are, are going through the sea, going to war, coming back, and they were very unhappy. And they would sit there and sing these doleful songs. And the word doleful is a good word to describe this. Uh, what is it? Isaiah 34 says they are doleful birds. They don't put out a, sound, a good sound at all. They make you depressed. They make you sad. Well, they couldn't get, they couldn't run them off because they're so far up on the mast. And then they would. Uh, roost in the trees along the banks. Uh, it became very popular when people went to the cemeteries. These black birds were showing up and roosting around the trees of the cemeteries and singing these doleful uh, songs while people are looking and, uh, at death. And so it became a very uh, horrible, it brought a gloom upon people. And it also, out of nowhere, the clouds would move in, and when the clouds moved in and it was heavy overcast days, that's when they did their worst singing, and that, it, it just all went together. You know, it's a spiritual thing, though. It really, really is, because God likens spirits to birds. You know, there's not much in the Bible that has wings in the spirit world that we know of. You know, the Bible never says angels have wings, but for some reason we think they do. You know, the cherubim have wings. The seraphim have wings. Some of these evil spirits have wings because Jesus said so, that they have their wings of a little bird. You know, and so they, they fly in and steal the word of God out of people's hearts when you preach the truth to them. These were spirits of, and what, in the Crimean War, they, it got so bad, they started likening these spirits to uh, the, the spirits of wicked dead people that sang through these birds to haunt the living that were left alive. You know, it kind of makes you realize where all these crazy uh, legends come from. They all come out of Europe, it seems like, you know, of the Dark Ages. It was a horrible time. Well, these black and blue-breasted birds brought the blues. So people sank into discouragement. They sank into despair. And they talked the blues. They, they uh, sang the blues. And it's because they got the blues. So, so listen to this. Ecclesiastes 10.20 says, Curse not the king, no, not in thy thought. Even in thinking. Well, he said, devil can't read my thoughts. And curse not the rich in thy chamber, for a bird of the air shall carry the voice, and that which hath wings shall tell the matter. 
This is found in Ecclesiastes. It's a warning. Don't talk about those over you in your private. Even in your thoughts, it says, because why? The, the little bird's going to tell them. You know, I always wonder. You, that's the line where, are your ears burning? Somebody talking about you. That burning is a bird letting you know that somebody's against you out there. Jesus said the birds of the air make nests in the kingdom of heaven. Isaiah 34 verse 13 through 15 talks about evil birds and evil spirits that go together. They do go together. So sometimes you just get a spirit on you. It's a certain spirit. Sometimes you're in the spirit. That's what you're, where you want to live, in the Holy Spirit. Your spirit in tune with God's. But a lot of times you're getting plagued by evil spirits. Now this isn't by any means the, the uh, Sunday school lesson, but it happens in your sleep sometimes. They attack you in your sleep. Very, very obvious. And even through dreams. But listen to this. Jesus said in Luke 9.55, You know not what manner of spirits you are of. He's telling this to the disciples. Because they've been saying some crazy things. One of them was, let's burn up this whole village. Because they won't receive the gospel. Let's call down fire from heaven and consume them like they did in the old days. And Jesus says, you didn't get that from God. That spirit didn't come from the Lord. You're of a different type of spirit. He's talking to John, the greatest one, the one he loved. 1 Timothy 1.7 says that there's a, such a thing as a spirit of fear that run, rests on people. But there's also the spirit of power and of love and of the sound mind. That's what we want to have. So sometimes your spirit is hurt, uh, wounded, damaged for various reasons, and you're bluesy. You know, it just puts you down. And sometimes you can't figure out where they came from. Sometimes they're very hard to overcome, like these old birds, and you're very sad. And then sometimes you're heavy-hearted, and you can't even tell why. And just like Asaph said, I can't even speak it. Can't tell you why. I'm just in the dumps. So uh, the blues are considered to be a contraction, a sinking in and a tightening up and a shrinking that takes place in your life that sucks you inward and you go into the dumps. So what we want to do is look at what, what right now, let's look here in the Bible, what uh, Asaph went through and see if we can't figure out some things about the dumps here. So the characteristics of the blues are symptoms. These are symptoms. They're not the cause, they're the symptoms. You can tell a person's in the blues, all right? Number one, I'm going to call this a morbid taste for sorrow. This is interesting. A morbid taste for sorrow. Look what he says in verse 2. In the, in the day of my trouble, I sought the Lord. My sore ran in a night, probably literally, and ceased not. My soul refused to be comforted. My soul refused. There was a, the comfort was available earlier than he took it. He lived in the morbid area because that's where he wanted to dwell, in the dumps. I want to live in the blues. He preferred negativity and discomfort at this time. God could have pulled him out of it sooner, but he refused to. Did you know some people are most happy when they're most miserable? Some people like living there. They don't rid their griefs, but they feed them, and they pet their griefs, and they grow their griefs. They look on the dark side. 
the glass is empty type people. They make a negative out of everything. You know, some people in the world, they can make a negative out of every single thing that happens. Proverbs 15, 15 says, All the days of the afflicted are evil, but he that is of a merry heart hath a continual feast. You got two different types of people right there. Somebody who likes to live in the area of the blues, every day they find a reason to complain. Now this is interesting. This is, it's true that not every day is good. We can't say every day I had a good day. But you can find some good in every day. And you can not, the whole day does not have to be I'm going to sing the blues. Some, think about this for a minute. Some people can't overcome a bad start to the day. You know, some days you, you wake out of bed and it starts off bad. And they never overcome it. They live there. Uh, their soul refuses to be comforted like Asaph. Uh, some people can't overcome an argument. They let it ruin their whole day. They let it ruin their spirit. And they don't overcome. Some people can't overcome a disappointment. They want to dwell there for a while, so they'll sing the blues, they'll gripe the blues until bedtime. And then they hope maybe in the morning I'll wake up to a new day. So the first one is, they have a taste for this. Blues. Look at verse 3. He says, I remembered God and was troubled. So the second symptom to the blues is a distorted view of God. You shouldn't be troubled remembering God. What's, he, what's the problem here? Actually, God, the memory of God should be a pleasure, but it's not in this case. He either saw God as a vengeful God that was out to get him and, and saying you deserve it, or a careless God who didn't care. He was seeing God wrong. The Lord's too far away and too high and holy for me anyway. I don't have time. I can't get to God. I am seeing God wrong. Many men think God is one of those whose thoughts are only in the heavens and never care about people on this earth. You know, and, and if God doesn't care about us, that'd put anybody in the blues, really. If you, especially if you live there. You're left alone to, be, to fend for yourself. That's a horrible feeling, to be on your own, you're left to fate, as some people call it. We don't believe in that. And other people's treatment. But if you think of God the true way through Christ, grace and truth came by Jesus Christ, that's John 1, 14, you can overcome the blues quickly. We're going to all sink into them, but you can get out of it fast by a proper view of God. But you, you, you'll see a just God, not an unjust God. You'll see one who justifies people through Jesus Christ. You'll see one who really loves you and cares for you even in the hard parts of life. And he's tender and he's kind toward us. And he's knowing. So, let's move on to the next one, just for time's sake. It says in verse 3, I complained. Uh-oh. That, that could be some people's life verse. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they're at it again. I complain. So number three, the, the third symptom is a complaining spirit. I complained and my spirit was overwhelmed. And the more I complained, the more cause for complaining I have for complaining. 
And yeah, isn't it interesting when if, if something really irritates you and you and you complain, what does that do? That opens the door for everything. Everything. I, if you're going to gripe about one thing, you'll find yourself griping about many. And if somebody's irritated you, a person, before long, I let everybody in. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to gripe about everybody now. That's human nature uh, with, with a complaining spirit. Without God, con uh, complaining is contagious. It's infecting the, the, the uh, fifth symptom of being bluesy is the memory of good times that are now gone. We call it the good old days. They're gone. I can't retrieve them. I can't get them back. They have flown away. Where the good old days to where even your nights were good. You know, happy days were here, but not now. Now I do believe one of the best feelings there is is when happy days are here again after some bad days and you get the good back, that's a really good feeling. But what, how do you handle life when they're gone is a question. The fact that he was once happy makes him miserable today. Former wealth makes present poverty more oppressive. You had it and lost it. Former health makes present sickness much harder to bear. Job said this, Oh, that life was like the days of old when the secret of God was on my tabernacle. When the blessings were coming on me. We don't get to have that every day of our life, all the time, forever. We, some, of us, some of the darkest moments of your life come when you're doing your best for God. So the, think about the days when you were happy. Thank God for those days. You can still remember them, and then you make the best of today because life's about change. So grateful hearts are thankful for the delights of the past, and then you're very hopeful that you'll get some of them back in the future because of time. Look at, look at number six. He says, I call to remembrance my song in the night. I communed with my own heart, and my spirit made diligent search. So what's he doing? Self-examination. I consumed with my own heart. I communed, excuse me, with my own heart. This is a profitable exercise, but it also can be very painful to look at what you really are and consider the failures that you have allowed to happen in your life. Not pleasant to judge yourself according to righteousness and God's righteousness. So you commune and you come to grips with the truth of who you are and then you and what do you do? If you do that and you dwell on it too long, it's going to send you right to the blues. Defeatism and failure is a, is a symptom of the blues. And it's sad. You know why? You're looking at your failures rather than His greatness. Our eyes are not on the right thing. They're on ourselves. So if you took a look at whatever you he said, my, 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 my sore ran in the night. If you looked at your disease or, or whatever it is, your infirmity, if you looked at that, or that failure, or that sin, if you're going to look at that, you ought to look at him a thousand times, though, because he's the cure, he's the physician, 
He's the only hope you have. All right, so quickly, the last one is a questioning spirit. Why, why, why? Now, it says in verse 7, he, he, look at this. Look how many, what we got here? Six questions in a row. Will the Lord cast off forever? Will He be favorable no more? Is His mercy clean gone forever? Doth His promise fail forevermore? Hath God forgotten to be gracious? Hath He in anger shut up His tender mercies? Selah. It's all questions. And, though, and, and most of the time, you're not getting an answer on questions like this. It's not wrong to ask questions. I don't think it's wrong to want to know why. I think it's wrong to dwell there if you don't get the answer. God has, did Job ever get the answer, by the way? Never says he did. Never says God told him why, what happened to him. He might have. So, it's, listen, it's, it's nothing wrong to ask why. It's just not good to dwell there. If you're doing any of that, then you're probably there. And you look up and those birds are there. you got to run them off. So how are you going to do that? Number one, this is it. Look what he says in verse 10. And then, see, he always talks himself through this, and he comes out on top. He always does. Read all of his other ones there uh, in the Psalms in the 70s right there. If you read those, you'll see. Look what he says in verse 10. And I said, this is my infirmity. But I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. So what's he got here? A clean confession of responsibility. My infirmity. I'm not blaming people. I'm not blaming God. I'm not even blaming circumstances. He's saying this is me. This is my fault, not God's. Infirmity is weakness, not sin. He's not saying, I'm sinning here, I'm weak. You know, we think sometimes an infirmity is a sin. No, it's not, it's a weakness. You need. Paul had rejoiced in them because why? They forced him to truly rely on God's strength. That's, that's why Paul said, my, strength, my weaknesses becomes his strength because I'm relying completely on him. Therefore, when I'm weak, I'm very strong. And he sees it. I'm just weak. I can't handle this when it comes my way. And, and so it's a shortage of something, you know. Anything that happens in your life that, that makes you short on something is an infirmity. 